you know, you got to ask yourself, and I'm thinking as a teacher now as well, JP and Nate, and I, I felt this way as a teacher as well, you have a curriculum to get through so we can make the comparison education as well. Would our students, players perform better if we covered 75% of the recommended content well, or would they perform better if we covered 100% of it quickly so we can get it done? Would our players perform better if we covered 75% of the plan well or 100% of it quickly so we can get it done? Gosh, Alan and Simon, these guys ask some really great questions and this one really stuck with me from today's episode. I started to think about all the practices that I've experienced as a coach when things weren't going well, like players didn't seem to be getting what I was trying to teach. When we were competing, they weren't applying what we had just taught and worked on. But yet, I continue on with the plan. I charge on. I have to stick the plan. I've got to get all that work in or else the team will get behind. That's the story I tell myself in those practices. And in reality, it's a very limiting belief. Now, in today's episode, we go back to our conversation with Alan Keane and Simon Turner from Movement Sports and unpacked the do and review parts to the plan do review process. And I'm excited because I know this is going to challenge many of our listeners, which we like to do on the Coaching Culture Podcast. We like to challenge you. So welcome back to the podcast. If you're a new listener, my name is JP Nurbin, and I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Nate Sanderson. The podcast is brought to you by TOC Culture Consulting, which I founded over five years ago because I wanted to help coaches grow as leaders and build better cultures. If you want some help beyond this podcast, head on over to TOCculture.com. You can learn more about how we help coaches through mentorship and online education. Also, you can subscribe to our newsletter to get the coaching notes for this podcast and a host of other free tools for coaches. Now let's get into the second part of our conversation with Alan Keene and Simon Turner. I think next we're going to jump into the the do aspect here, the second phase of our kind of our process here. And I want to ask this question here, Simon, one of the things that coaches often come back to and whether it's my assistant coaches or, or other coaches that I've worked with is how much flexibility do you have with the plan when you're actually executing you know, the practice or the approach in a particular game. Um, and I, I think there are some coaches out there that, well, I know that plan practice to the exact minute, you know, and they've got all the POEs and there's staples in their practice plans, you know, and they're carrying them into the gym. And then there's others that, you know, maybe just have a few headings on a note card and they're, and they're just responding to what they see, you know, players being able to do. So what, what guidance would you give as, as a coach's, using the plan and yet trying to be the most effective for what their team needs in that particular game or practice. Well, Nate, the plan to review cycle can be completed uh, simultaneously. So we can be doing a plan to review process uh, for every period of the season, preseason, for example, we're going to review at the end of preseason. We've got our plan. We're going to review at the end before the first game playoffs another period of, of the season. So you can be halfway through that plan to review cycle whilst also being halfway through a week plan to review cycle 
which is we're going, we've got four practices this week and we're going to review on Friday or after the game on Saturday, we're going to review the entire week. Then you can also be halfway through a daily plan do review cycle at the same time, which is this one practice session or this one game. And then even within that practice session, you can be doing some quick reviews in the middle of that practice. And Alan does this really well. Particularly if you set targets, if, the, if you plan targets at the beginning of your game or practice, and then you get to a water break, you check the targets and you ask, are we achieving these targets? Are we where we want to be at this point in the practice? And if the answer to that is no, well, then the next question is, what changes do we need to make? And then you change your practice plan on the fly. And that's where the creativity of the coach comes in. Now, if you're a coach that plans down to the minute, like you got six minute drills and, and every drill's got a name, you know, the Nate Sanderson drill and the, uh, you know, the Northern Iowa drill. And we've all, we've all heard the memory, you know, the Duke drill, that whatever, Syracuse. Um, if you're planning down to the minute, you just lose that flexibility. And can I add to that too? We work with coaches all around the world. I mean, we, we've got uh, coaches we support in the UK, Australia, uh, Canada, the, the US. I have to say it's quite North American to plan down to the minute. It, it, it's almost like it's a high school college coach uh, with a volunteer manager on the clock, you know, and the, and the clock is literally ticking down for every drill because we've got to get on to the next thing because I want, we hear a lot from coaches in those contexts of, oh, I'm under so much. We've got so much to put in. You've ever heard that in the preseason? Oh, we got, um, we're putting in so much. I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to get there. Maybe you're putting in a little too much. <laughs> if you can't put it all in, then maybe you shouldn't be putting it all in. Uh, so that flexibility is really, really important. And uh, I remember coaching, uh, observing a coaching session in Belgrade. 2004, I was on a little study tour. Uh, it was in an old uh, school gym. Half the court had been ripped up, right? Literally the wood was, was ripped up. So these guys were practicing in half the court. It was a health and safety nightmare. Uh, they've got these young players. It's a semi-professional team full of mostly young players. So it's like an under 23 kind of team. And these coaches... They're just incredible. Like Serbian coaches, for example, they're just so adaptable because their context is changing all the time. They can plan really quickly and they can be really creative within a session. And if we're too fixed and we're timing every drill and we've got a manager on the clock, then there's, there's limited room for create, creativity. And Alan does a great job calling player timeouts. He allows the players to call a timeout. Hold on, coach, we need a timeout. And uh, in that time, he leaves the players and we frequently have a little coach's timeout at the same time. So there's different cycles and lengths of the plan to review process. One of the things that, as I'm hearing you talk about this plan and down to the minute, that was me, Simon, <laughs> I would have it down to, you know, two fifty-three. <laughs> you know, it was literally to the minute. I think in reflection, the plan handcuffed me. Because I wasn't able to be creative because, well, we had to get things done. We had to, we had to move on to the next thing. Um, we had to hurry up. You know, I couldn't, we, we, we had to, and that affected who I was as a coach in those moments. And I'm typically in a negative way. 
you know, it's great to be efficient. It's great to be assertive. It's great to push your team, I think. But I could definitely reflect on and go, Ooh, you know, the times that I started losing my patience, I was short with a player um, and not who I wanted to be or who I needed to be for my team was because I was, you know, restricted. I was handcuffed by this plan. At the same time, there is a challenge for any coach, uh, especially younger coaches or even, you know, I was coaching last year and I was coaching a new offense, an offense that I system a play that I was not confident in or really honestly that competent in. And I really had to rely on the plan. I couldn't make adjustments on the fly because of my lack of confidence and competence. So I guess I'm just kind of curious about that. You know, is uh, just any, if you or Alan have any thoughts on, on that, it's like, yeah, I want to be more free flowing as a coach. I'm sure some coaches are saying that. But at the end of the day, like the, the plan is kind of like my safety blanket. You know, if I don't have that there, then, then, then I might lose that confidence. Really interesting, JP. And in our research, I'll share with you, actually, um, I won't say who the coach was out of respect for the coach. And um, not that he did anything wrong. It was just fascinating. I was having a conversation with loads of coaches when we were doing some research around, like, how do you practice plan? How do you game plan? Like, I mean, coaches in all four corners of the world. And I can't, I can't, couldn't even remember how many guys. It was over 100 for sure. And one coach said to me, he said, Alan, I don't plan. I don't use a game day plan. Like, you know, you see us with the sheets on the side, the game day card. And he said, because I don't want my mind to be anchored to what I pre, pre-game planned. I, I wanted to be, I wanted my creative juices to not be restricted. And I wanted to adjust to what I was seeing in front of me. Now, he also did say to me, I wouldn't have been able to do that up to, you know, if this was more than five, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. He is a very, very experienced coach, being there, done it, you know, at the highest level, multiple championships. So he's had all kinds of experiences. So he said he's at the stage of his career where actually planning something in game, like the game day card would actually restrict him. Um, And he, but he said he would have embraced it for sure in his younger years. So I thought that was an interesting perspective, actually. What Simon spoke about, you know, and I've and I've been on the end of that as well, guys. You know, had had people on the table doing the clock. It was minute by minute. If we didn't get through the plan, I saw the session as a failure. I saw me as a failure. If we got through the session plan, I was going home happy, regardless how the session went. We covered this. We covered that, and it gave me a sense of security. As a younger coach, it gave me a feeling of security. We're going into the European Championships, and we've covered all those different areas. I felt good. The reality was the players struggled. The players were confused. The players were really saturated and their working memory couldn't cope with everything we did. So then we're not performing and it's a vicious cycle. I get frustrated. The players are losing confidence. We're not getting the results that everybody desires. And if you go back to peel it back to what was the biggest issue, the biggest issue was my planning as the head coach. Actually, I gave them too much that they were able to cope with. So the, the, the practice plan itself, Simon, and maybe you could talk on this a little bit. We've actually upgraded it to, from its original format. Its original format, and Simon will clarify, it actually had more sections to plan for. It's now got, I believe, eight different sections. So you, it's got eight sections to, to write whatever you want to do in your practice. In. But a while back when we first started, it had like 12 sections. And, you know, you got to ask yourself, and I'm thinking as a teacher now as well, JP and Nate, and I, I felt this way as a teacher as well. You have a curriculum to get through. 
so we can make the comparison education as well. Would our students, players perform better if we covered 75% of the recommended content well, or would they perform better if we covered 100% of it quickly so we can get it done? Which would they perform better at? My experience in both worlds is covering less and covering it better facilitates a better performance. Uh, I think it's worth noting that in order to innovate and be creative, you need a base. So now, now you can do it from a blank slate and just be a bit of a renegade. It'll be the coach that's emerged from a cage, uh, from a cave, sorry, and, and they're just all of a sudden coaching you know, basketball or whatever, but that doesn't exist, right? So we've all got a base of knowledge. So that really experienced coach that actually doesn't want to plan so much anymore, I, I would argue that for that person, they are planning. They're maybe not needing to write it down as much as earlier on in their career, but their plan is probably really simple. They've got like four sections in their practice plan and that's it. Or, or they might even write down 5v5, <laughs> But they're so experienced that they know all sorts of conditions and they recognize that uh, we're not getting the ball, uh, we're not penetrating the defense at all. So they'll put in a condition within the five on five. They'll just recognize it and they'll say, right, we have to get the ball in the lane at least twice before we can shoot. And that's just a condition that they've added to a five on five game in response to their observations during a session. So when you're really experienced, you can do it like that. It looks like they're on the fly, just like a musician might look like they're jamming or making it up, but that musician's been training their whole life to enable them to then be innovative, to enable them to then not have to overthink it. But you have to get to that point through quite a lot of diligent uh, work. It's also worth noting, I think, that sometimes our targets for a session get a bit skew with. Sometimes they're just a summary of what I'm going to do in the session. Like three session, three targets for a session, and we'll write down number one, transition defense. But that that's not it, that's a target. That's just a subject area. That's just so sometimes our targets are a summary of the drills we're gonna do. Because we've actually probably already have you ever written a session plan and then gone, oh, gone back up to the top and then written the targets? <laughs> you know, I've done that many times, right? Where if you start with the targets, then it gives you a framework. And so you can innovate within your session plan, mate, like you were describing earlier on, if it's still meeting the targets. Because if the primary driver is to meet the three targets you set for the session, then that gives you license and, in fact, empowerment to innovate and change the session on the fly because you're working towards those three targets. So I would argue the targets shouldn't change, but the drills, games, activities you're going to do, they can change during a session if the targets aren't being met. One of the ways Alan and I differ is when I write targets, uh, I start, I, every one of my targets starts with the word introduce, develop, or perform. So what are we introducing? What are we developing? What are we, what are we performing? And that's, that's just, you know, based on, I think probably something I learned from Alan about like uh, teaching speeds. And so Alan writes quite, I've noticed Alan, you write quite detailed targets, you know, brackets, we're going to work on this, 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 and this. Um, Cause you're able to work, you're able to conceptualize these things because you're so much further advanced than I am. You're able to, to see the connections between all these things and cover off 
different aspects of our defense within one drill or game, whereas I have to be much more specific. Okay, we're working on helping the helper in our half-court defense. And so that becomes develop helping the helper in half-court D is my, is my target. So it's, it, for me, it's much more narrow and, and specific, but for somebody of Alan's experience, it can be much wider and a little bit, and a, and a little bit more conceptual. Last thing I want to add to that is one of the uh, ways in which I see coaches could develop, could, could widen their perspective, is to include a wider range of targets. So if you've got three targets for a, for a session and all three of them are tactical and you've done that for the last five practice sessions in a row, then that's evidence that you've been really tactical in your focus. Could you have a social target within that? Alan talks a lot about task cohesion. So the extent to which the group of people are performing a task in a cohesive way. Could you have a social target? Could there be preseason? Is there a physical target? Is it, what, are the, what are your technical targets? Could you have one tactical target and then an associated physical or technical target that backs up the tactical target and then an associated social target that backs up the tactical target? So a practical example I talked about before, helping the helper in, in half-court D, that might be your tech num overarching number one tactical target. The technical is being able to, say, hold your, hold your stance, point your hands, uh, maintain vision of the ball and your attacker at the same time. And then the social target is the strategic targeted communication between uh, teammates and a feeling of togetherness. And that's a way of, of stitching together those three targets. And if that was your overall set of targets and it wasn't being achieved during, during a practice, then it would become quite obvious, I would have thought, if you're doing a mini coach's timeout as you go along, Oh, hey, we need to innovate. We need to change something here, and and abandon the and and maybe the uh, volunteer manager is going to be a little redundant for the next half an hour. And I'm really thinking through the lens now of I have a wonderful job with Burmier Blaze. I work with like uh, Simon's brought me on board to work with uh, the club's coaches, coach development. Let's say what did he, what these guys don't know is I'm I'm developing as much as they are by trying to develop them. Um, which is incredibly unique because I get access to all their practice plans, their game cards. I'll do a lot of reviews with them, like audio reviews, hot reviews, as you talked about earlier, JP. So I'm thinking through their lens as Simon is talking there, and I'm taking off this GB under 20 professional head coach's hat. I'm, and I'm thinking through the hat uh, or through the lens of a, of a junior uh, development coach who sees these players or her players twice a week, three times a week. Um, and I think those targets are huge because if you don't start with that, you're just basically, you know, scrummaging around the place, trying to see what you can find. And you're doing a bit of this, a bit of that. And you see a lovely drill on Twitter. Oh, that's great. Let's do that drill in next week's practice. And then, you know, when you peel all that back and you say, what is it? It's actually a disservice to your players because they all showed up to have fun and to get better and improve and different things like that. So I say to a lot of younger coaches or less experienced coaches, if I could say like that, please, I say to them, like, this, this tactical element you're practicing for, absolutely fine. That's target number one, no problem. But what supports that tactical element you're planning for? So, you know, it's, it stimulates a great conversation and it lends itself towards well, technically, they need to be able to do that X, Y, and Z. Okay, great. 
So what do they need to be able to technically execute X, Y, and Z? Oh, they've got to be physically able to do this. Okay, great. So they're, they're, they're not going to be very competent at it. So what do they need to, how do they need to feel in order to do it well? Oh, they need to feel safe, freedom to, to make errors, a freedom of um, consequence to failure. They need to feel free and open and brave to go and try it. Great. There's your targets, buddy. You've started with your tactical, but what underpins it? Now plan for a technical aspect that supports the tactical. Now plan for a physical part of the session that's going to support the technical and then surround that by, you know, safe space to try stuff. And I think a lot of times when I watch coaches coach and they do their practice plan and I talked about the, 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 the trip, the Twitter trap, I like to call it, where you see these drills and, and plays and stuff. You've got to be very mindful that actually the tactical may not come off because they're not technically able but the technical ability is going to struggle because of a physical inability so what simon talked about targeting um having targets or keys to your practice or whatever people call it having physical social mental technical like what are you what do they need in order to get better in that practice and you can have all three you can have all four um i don't think that way jp with um with, an, with, with, a, with a senior pro team or a GB under 20s because of the context. Because at 20 years old, you're a national team player. I'm getting physical, competent athletes, you know, superb physical capabilities. I actually have to find a way to get them to do what I want them to do together. So a lot of it does become the social. You do plan the social at that level, and you should be. Simon talked about task cohesion. They've got to be able to do stuff together. And then obviously the tactical being the, the outcome of that. Well, Alan, I think all of that kind of lends it ourselves to transitioning here to the review process, because it would seem like common sense that once you have your objectives um, or however you want to describe those at the, you know, your plan of the tactical, the technical, the physical, the, the cultural, emotional, social, what have you, the natural response to that would be at the end, say, well, how did we do, <laughs> right? I mean, we wanted to get better at post-feed entries, you know, did we? Did we create the right environment? Did we see improvement? Did their confidence in being able to, you know, throw that pass increase or, or not, right? And so talk a little bit about, because I do think, as JP said in the opener here, this is probably the least of the three, you know, that coaches are really engaging in an intentional process to review, it, whether it's their in-game coaching or it's, you know, their plan for practice and then their execution. So maybe start us at a beginner level a little bit here. Some one of our coaches was saying, no, that makes sense to plan this way, to execute this way, and then to review what's the entry level, you know, process for somebody to kind of reflect on their practices for the first time. Well, I'll, I'll talk you through the titles of our review framework, um, Nate, so the listeners can have a, a potential, a visual of what you're actually reviewing. And then I'm going to relate it back to my PE teaching days, 15, maybe 20 years ago. Um, but the titles are my coaching. So you, you review your coaching. And that, of course, comes under that inside. And that is your preparation, your energy level and your communication clarity. The second thing that you review, the next thing on that sheet of paper or on the back of your plan or your due, should I say, 
is the player experience. We actually review the level of fun they had. Was it low from low to high? And then we also review the player's problem solving. Was that low or high? And then the last thing in the, in the player experience is communication between players. So we're reviewing those six elements to do with our coaching and the player experience. The next thing we review is what we were grateful for. And it was, it's titled gratitude. And there's three sentences to say what you were grateful for. Or what did you enjoy and appreciate about the session? You as the coach. The next two phases go a long way towards helping you plan what you need to do in the next session. So the next, se the next segment is just simply called development. What did we learn and what will we change? And that tees you up nicely for the, for the next practice. And then there's a note section at the end, you know, where we can type uh, right in where the targets met, what went well, what do I need to remember for the next session? So it's framed that way. I have to share with you at this point a story in my PE teacher training days, probably 17, 18 years ago, which makes me feel incredibly old, guys. Um, when I was training in a school in, in West London, my PE teaching mentor said to me, he, he'd been a head, he was a head of department at the school, I finished teaching a lesson. And, you know, feedback afterwards you know how i got the feedback we won't get into that but it was very much one way but he did ask me a really pertinent question that has lived with me ever since and he said before we get into the lesson and your planning and the outcomes and the delivery he said i want to ask you one question did the pupils did the students have fun and it really threw me off because i'd been teacher training for six months at that point and no teacher's lesson I had covered who'd given me feedback had ever asked me, what did they have fun? And he said to me, he said, Alan, if you learn anything from this placement, this experience, you need to know that these students need to have fun above everything else. It has to be the foundation of what you're doing. Now, obviously, you layer that foundation with obviously having to teach and making sure they're learning and acquiring new skills and knowledge. But the fact that we review the player experience and the first thing on that player experience is the fun level of that session. I think that should live inside in every single practice session from an under eight right through to a professional men's team, right through to a European championship team. Because I've been in both worlds and without that fun factor, it's a very, very long and difficult season. I really appreciate that story, Alan. We, we recently had um, a rugby coach in the podcast, Andre Petrorius, and he was talking about his vision for his team being he wanted his team, you know, uh, a pro rugby team to be the best part of his, of their day for all the players, part of that program. That really resonates kind of to what you're talking about here at the end of the day is kind of reflecting on the experience, right? Did, did they actually experience that? And that's something, you know, you have, we have these vision statements, but do we reflect on them on a daily basis? You know, the experience, and I know every coach listening to this podcast really values the experience their athletes are having and also love the gratitude thing, because I think it's so oftentimes it's very easy for us to go negative as coaches and the, especially the dog days of the season. Okay, I'm going to cut myself off there. Next episode, we're going to dive deeper into the review process with Simon and Alan we're going to really discuss how we can engage other coaches and players in the review process 
And also, how do we complete this loop, this learning cycle loop? Don't miss an episode of the podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen. Also, follow Simon and Alan on Twitter. There's some great stuff there. And you can head over to movementsports.com, mvmtsports.com, where you can buy their plan, do reflection tools. We'll also put a link to their website and, and their Twitter in the details of this episode.